0: You're listening to the Go, Globe, Go Big podcast powered by Globig. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. So today's hot topic is transfer pricing. It's one of the most important aspects of any company that is expanding abroad uh, that ex- exports physical products. So our guest today is Jason Fritz. Jason is a senior manager at Bailey, one of the top finance and accounting firms in the United States. Welcome, Jason, and thank you so much for joining today. Let's start this podcast with just sharing a little bit more about yourself.
1: Thanks, Anki. Hi. Like you said, my name is Jason Fritz, and I'm a senior manager in charge of transfer pricing at Ide Bailey. Um, I've been doing transfer pricing for 12 and a half years now. It's hard to believe, it's gone extremely quickly. Um, I'm very passionate about it, um, and I have a wide variety with sorry, I have a wide variety of experience with uh, transfer pricing documentation, planning, controversy, and I've had experience uh, working in the big four and I joined I'd Bailey, um about a year and a half ago.
0: So what exactly is transfer pricing?
1: So transfer pricing, it, it really deals with the pricing of intercompany transactions. And I should say, you know, this, this is, a podcast-based or kind of focused on international transactions, but there are there are state and local and federal implications within the United States as well. But we will focus on the international aspects today. But really, it's the price at which tangible property, intangible property, uh, services, and financing is transferred between two related parties, and in this case, two related parties in, in different countries. And more and more lately, we've heard the term uh, regarding transfer. As you know, the fair share of operating profit between related entities. But um, I say fair and, and kind of put air quotes around that because you know the fairness really has to be based upon something, and it's really based upon the functions performed and risks assumed by the the various related entities, and it really flows from you know the, the logical. Um, the logical premise that profit would flow to an entity that has more complex and more functions um, and really bears you know, more risks in the, uh, the intercompany transaction.
0: So one of the things that I've read about and heard about around transfer pricing is arm's length principle. So what exactly is that and, and how do you make sure you're compliant with that?
1: So the arm's length principle, you know, or, or what's known as the arm's length standard, is, is a universal principle, really, um, in the United States and globally. Um, and it's based upon the concept that your intercompany transactions, so your control transaction, um, would be the same as if it was uh, the same answer, same amount of profit, as if two third parties were acting. So in other words, if you were acting with a third party, you would have an arm's length negotiated price for that transaction. And what the you know, arms like standard says is your inner company or control transactions should also be based as if you were um, working with the third party. So in other words, you can't just manipulate the the price based upon, you know, as you see fit or, or what benefits you most. It's really what you would pay a third party or what a third party would pay you. And
0: and why is that? Why is that important?
1: Well, I mean, it's important because, um, and we'll think we'll talk about a little bit about this later is that, you know, there are different, tax rates in different countries and different different laws and it allows companies with entities in those countries or different countries to take advantage potentially of those tax rates by having a a higher amount of taxable income or operating profit in those entities or in those countries um, when really they may not be able to justify such a taxable income or operating profit because the functions and risks really don't Really don't kind of jive or really don't line up with you know an entity that would be assumed to earn that amount of profit.
0: Interesting. Are there other universal transfer pricing concepts such as this arm's length principle um, around the world to pay attention to?
1: Yep, I would say another universal principle you'll encounter you know globally is is the best or most appropriate method. So the u s has uh, transfer pricing regulations. And outside the U.S., the OECD developed transfer pricing guidelines years ago, um, of which most countries have adopted and or adopted and, and it then kind of added on to develop their own transfer pricing regulations. Um, but they they all have some some prescription of methods that can be used in order to come up with the, uh, the intercompany pricing. So in order to develop your transfer prices. Well, what, what's stated in the OECD guidelines and the, in the US transfer pricing regulations is that you really need to come up with what is or, or use the best or most appropriate method to price your, your transaction. And usually it's based upon you know, the, the availability of data um, or your know, reliability of that, that method. So the best or most, most appropriate method is something you'll hear about um, globally as well. There are other concepts within uh, transfer pricing regulations globally, such as um, an interquartile range of results in most countries. And, and what that is, is it's a statistical tool to help kind of smooth out outliers when, when you're developing a range of transfer prices um, that you would use to, to price your intercompany transactions. Um, another um, is something called a profit level indicator. So this is whether you would maybe utilize an operating margin for a distributor or a markup on total cost for manufacturers or a service provider. Um, it's 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 just ways to help implement your intercompany pricing and, and it's something you hear about globally. And finally, uh, I'd, I'd say another universal Principle or ideal is is a tested to the transaction, and that's that's often the entity that has the simpler uh, simpler functions and the fewest risks um, between two parties in a intercompany transaction, um, and it's usually the easier party to to test when you're you're developing your transfer prices.
0: And who would be testing this? Is this the the government that would be testing this information, or is it just between the two companies?
1: Well, it, it's it. It's a tested party it's called a tested party, but it's not it's not necessarily like a test that would occur between you know by the government um, it's just it's essentially like which entity are you benchmarking um, so it's 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 something that the company would do or, or consultants like myself would do is we would help kind of define which entity should be tested and that would be the tested party
0: interesting what are um what are some important tips on on being compliant? Because I would assume that most companies don't have that internal expertise, especially when dealing with international, um, you know, ex- exporting and importing. Would you agree? Or?
1: Uh, yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, I would say an important tip is... This. So there are so there's numerous profit and transaction based methods as I spoke to earlier. So they they list out the regulations list out you know different methods. Often or what's most often applied is something is a method called the comparable profits method in the U.S. and then outside the U.S. it's called the transactional net margin method. Um, you'll hear the acronyms CPM in the U.S. or TNMM outside the U.S. So Comparable profits method (CPM) and transactional net margin method (TNMM) outside the U.S. And what that is doing is that is comparing functionally similar companies um, to your tested party. So you would you would say, Hey, what are the, what are the functions and risks of our tested party here? It's really the simpler entity; it's easier to test. So let's take a look at what that that entity does. And then what we do is we say, Okay, here's here's we know what that entity does now. Let's go find companies. Um, in publicly available databases that perform similar functions and, and take on similar risks. And then we look at the, the interquartile range of the operating results of that, of those entities, of those companies that we actually search and, and find. And we compare those results to our tested party. We say, hey, listen, is this tested party, is their profitability kind of in the, in the range here uh, of what similar companies, you know, what they earn? Um, and that's, that's honestly the most, by far, the most frequently used method uh, to, to get your transfer pricing right um, or to, to when uh, tax authorities are auditing your transfer pricing or looking at this, they, they rely on that. And quite honestly, it's because the data is most readily available. So in the U.S. and in North America, we have a pretty robust uh, way of collecting audited financials. Um, clearly, the SEC uh, collects that. And, you know, that, that's a reliable source of, of data. And, and the IRS really does rely on that most, most frequently. Um, you know, but, but the underlying thing I think that companies can be aware of is what's your operating profit at each of your entities and how do you justify that? And, and is, is your intercompany pricing potentially driving those entities into a loss situation or is your operating profit abnormally high? Let's take the example of a captive service provider. Which all its its all its functions are to do is to provide services for other related parties in wherever you want, you know, across the globe, and all of its revenue is intercompany. Well, if you were to have an, a high level of operating profit at that entity, um, it probably doesn't totally align with its functions um, as a captive service provider. So. Uh, an example of where a company would, you know, use the the CPM or TNMM. Um, so we we had a client, and I actually run into this, this situation um, somewhat frequently with small and medium sized businesses. Um, so this this client um, inquired with us on how to charge for all the activities that it performs that benefit its its Canadian subsidiary. Um, so so this this particular company. Um designs and builds big farm and kind of grain type structures and their us com their us clients were actually needing these type of structures in Canada, so they created a Canadian corporation, um, as required, and they were going to start building these structures in Canada. Um, and so really you know the Canadian Canadian entity was just helping facilitate the construction of these you know, these buildings. So we say, hey, they're more kind of like a general contractor, really. But the U.S. was d- doing a bunch of design, engineering, selling, um, various types of services. And so they came to us and said, hey, how do we charge for all these services? What, how, do we, how do we look at that and make sure it's, it's arm's length? And, and the advice that we give them, and this is the advice I frequently give, is that kind of looking at the transaction backwards, you know, what is the simpler entity in this situation? And it really was the Canadian entity that all it was doing was Really, it was a captive service provider in Canada providing general contractor services. So what we did is we said, let's not look at all these different flows and all these different activities that the US is performing. Let's look at really the singular purpose of this Canadian entity. Look for similar companies that are out there that also provide general contractor type services and see what you know, what type of profitability or what type of markup on their cost do they earn? And then what we do is just mark up the cost of that Canadian entity. That's their intercompany revenue, so they earn some level of taxable income in Canada, which should hopefully keep the CRA happy in Canada. Um, and really, we've we've simplified their intercompany pricing, and we we've taken all the, the complexity out of of all these activities, and, and just kind of said, hey, listen, what what should Canada be earning here?
0: Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so given that though, with a smaller company, do you often see that they aren't really sure how to do, to go about this? And, and then what are the risks of non-compliance?
1: Yes. Small and medium-sized companies, you know, frequently struggle with how to, how to handle transfer pricing and, you know, and what are the rules? And, and, and really, you know, what we try to do not not to plug. I'd Bailey so much. What we try to do is really kind of right size the transfer pricing and figure out. Hey, listen. Do they? Do, do we need to do a full, full blown documentation study here because this is a really risky transaction, or, or what's what's really what what should we do here? Or should we just do some benchmarking and, and show that the company has really thought about their their transfer pricing? Um, and to you know to follow up on you know, your question, which is what are the risks? Well, the U.S. lays out their their transfer pricing guidance in section. 482 of their Internal Revenue Code, um, but the, there are penalties under Section 6662 of the Internal Revenue Code, um, and and it also lays out what's technically required from transfer pricing documentation from U, from U.S. purposes. Um, so for U.S. purposes, you know, there's up to a 40% penalty plus interest on the underpayment of tax um, for international transactions. So if you don't have transfer pricing documentation in place. And the IRS comes in and examines your, your intercompany pricing, your transfer pricing, and says, hey, listen, we disagree with this. We don't think you use the right method. We think you're either undercharging or overcharging, really, whatever benefits the IRS or the U.S. more. And we're going to adjust that. And we're going to, you know, So first of all, you have an adjustment. So you're going to have to – you've already possibly paid tax on the other side of the transaction. Um, we're going to adjust your, your taxable income in the U.S. upwards. So you're gonna pay tax again on that amount. So now you're already being double taxed. So you risk having to make that, receiving that adjustment and then having the double tax on that. But in addition to that, if you don't have any transfer pricing documentation and let's just say it appears that you've been egregious with your intercompany pricing and um, perhaps you have a high level of operating profit or taxable income in a low tax jurisdiction they may say hey listen you have no tra- pricing documentation so we're allowed to penalize you on top of that adjustment as well um so there's there's a risk there of, of penalties and outside the us it really becomes again the risk of adjustments and the double taxation in those in those countries. And once you know tax returns are filed, it's it's extremely difficult to often get adjustments. You can go to a competent authority to try to get relief on the double taxation, but that in itself is a time consuming and, and likely expensive exercise. And then each country in which you're operating outside the US um, may have its own penalty regime. Um, so there's no consistent penalty, I guess, penalties you know, outside the US, but there are penalties. So you do need to be aware of, of those in each country. So you really kind of run afoul of, you know, the tax authorities in the, you know, in the foreign jurisdictions. And so you need to be aware of, of the risks there.
0: Is this something that you need to evaluate yearly or every time you have a new product or service, or is it really kind of a one-time requirement and then you can go with that or should you be evaluating that regularly?
1: you should be evaluating it regularly. In fact, you should be, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, what's, what's the, what's the main thing to look for. And, and I said, it was, you know, the profitability of of your entities, your taxable income in your entities. And quite honestly, you know, best, you know, best practice is probably monitoring that monthly. Um, Now in reality, most companies don't have the manpower to, to do that. And that's, that's quite the exercise at the end of each month to do so. I think quarterly is is fine and and does a, you, you can do a great job of monitoring your transfer pricing on a quarterly basis. Um, again, that's most likely a lot of work as well. Um, so I'd say you know biannually, at least half a year or at least a couple times throughout the year th- throughout the year, you should monitor your your a company pricing to make sure it's within those ranges that we talked about earlier. To make sure it's it's not you don't have too high a profit or too low a profit in each of the uh, each of the entities. Um, and I will say that for U.S. purposes, you're able to make adjustments at, at year end um, in order to make sure your, your pricing is arm's length or you know meets those ranges. You can make any kind of adjustment before your books close, and even after your books close, you can make a Schedule M adjustment with your tax return. Uh, so you really have a lot of flexibility from from U.S. purposes to uh, to adjust your transfer pricing. It is that's not the case on the foreign side. A lot of foreign countries have come out and said, "Hey, listen, if you're if you're making these year-end adjustments and your pricing throughout the year really wasn't arm's length," and so they they really do frown upon making these adjustments. It's it's not impossible to make them, um, but if you're adjusting taxable income and especially if you're adjusting it downward in the foreign country, um, you can run into some some stickiness with tax authorities and some some issues um if if you were gonna you know just do you know just say listen i you know i don't really care we're gonna adjust this at your end no matter what um if if you if you can at all control it i would try to adjust it upward your foreign countries because again the u.s doesn't care if you adjust it downward as so long as it's arm's length
0: hmm at what point should companies really start doing this, and at what stage in their business is it really as soon as they're even considering um, doing business abroad, or is it once they have an entity? You know, what's kind of the right process?
1: You know, that's a great question, and I would say as soon as you're considering, you know, having you know setting up an entity overseas. And you're going to have intercompany transactions with them. You should be considering transfer pricing. Uh, now I understand that you know there's there's startup nature to you know to entities overseas if you, if you're creating them, and there's often a lack of profitability within any startup company. Um, the, the transfer pricing regulations actually um, state that you know they understand. Like, listen, if you're starting a new entity, we'd expect there to be some level of operating losses for at least three years. Um, but you know, if you're thinking about transfer, price, if you're thinking about going overseas, you should really think about transfer pricing from day one. Um, the other, the other side of that is, you know, you'd want to take a look at the risks and materiality, because again, if you're if you're starting out, and the, the transactions may not be that big, and in other words, they wouldn't really um, get the attention of tax authorities because there's not that much to them yet. Um, also, if it's just a, if it's a sale of a tangible goods of a tangible good, excuse me. Those are often less risky transactions. Um, you know, goods have been flowing across borders, you know, intercompany for decades now, um, it's, it's often less risky. Uh, the higher risk transactions are, are definitely licenses and transfers of intangible property. That's a hot issue um, with not only the IRS, but all tax authorities. So any movement or license of IP cross borders um, becomes much more risky and something you definitely want to think about from day one. Um, Services, um, service transactions can be risky, depending on the, the type. Um, if it's, if it's more management based and administrative, it may not be as risky. But foreign tax authorities are um, definitely pushing back on just allocations or pro rata allocations of management services. Um, so you do want to be careful, um, again, with, with services transactions as well. But, you know, I mean, at any point, I mean you technically are required if you have inter, international transactions, you are required to have transfer pricing documentation in place when you file your u s tax return. A lot of countries also have that contemporaneous documentation requirement. not every country has that, but some certainly do so i would I would say from day one, you definitely want to consider it um, even if you even if you're not moving to do something formally, you, you at least want to have it um, you know, have transfer pricing have a seat at the
0: table so what information do you need to have ready for your tax advisor to make this process um, less painful is probably the word that came to mind
1: <laughs> so oh so what would what would your tax for your tax advisor you're saying
0: what what would you need for example from a company to really make this a smooth process because I would imagine that companies need to be prepared for this conversation and really bring to you the, you know, enough information to, so that this can be fruitful discussion.
1: Yeah. So like a basic level of information, right. Um, I would say, I would say, what are your goals? What are your goals internationally here? Are you looking to keep expanding internationally or is this just as in the, the um, example I provided earlier with the Canadian entity, is this just, are you really setting this entity up? just because you kind of have to and in order to kind of facilitate this and your your goal really isn't to expand internationally um or do you are you looking to expand and you want to keep cash overseas and you really want to keep expanding your business and kind of you're looking for a jumping point but you really expect your business to you know blow up internationally um so it, it, what are your goals here um in, in terms of of setting up the entity number 1 number 2 um wh- what do you in, Envision the functions of that entity. Your your foreign entity being like, what what what's it going to do? What risks are, is it going to take? Are you looking for this entity to be an entrepreneur, and do you expect it to have a high level of profitability in the future? Because that is, um you know, that could determine or help determine how we set up the intercompany pricing, kind of from from day one. And I think the I think the third thing is keeping a kind of a clean financials or at least being able to create a P&L for the intercompany transactions or the foreign entities. So in other words, if you have an entity that's going to be doing uh, different things overseas, so it's both manufacturing and distributing, and, you know, it, it it's only intercompany transactions, you know, may actually, you know, between like a U.S. parent would be, you know, the purchase of goods and it's going to resell. You know, you, you need to be able to to kind of just show your inner company financials versus just one big financial statement for that entity because you want to be able to show that that transactions arms length because it may have its own local, local third party, you know, revenue and third party PL that you're going to want to kind of bifurcate
0: interesting you know I want to jump back to one of the earlier questions just to make sure that our listeners are really clear that yeah. transfer pl- pricing actually applies to more than physical goods companies right you had mentioned services and other things are we talking applications and e-commerce companies and that as well
1: yes so there I mean any so I, I there's the four general categories. Are you know tangible goods, intangible property, services, and intercompany financing, and so if you think about uh, an, a U.S. parent setting up uh, another entity in let's just say the U.K. Um, so that they can sell software throughout throughout Europe, then yes, you would need to set up your intercompany pricing such that. Uh, the uk is is remunerating the us parent properly for the the right to either you know sublicense or on sell however you tr- you structure your transactions with third party they need to have those rights and they need to pay the us an arms length amount in order to be able to to complete those transactions
0: okay and i you know i wasn't clear on that i was thinking that this really applied primarily to physical goods uh, so that's really helpful
1: well, I think that's I think that's an important point. Um, I think, and oftentimes, you know, you know, we are asked as professionals to take a look from an, an audit perspective at what's happening with companies, and, and they may be, you know, they may be selling things, you know, physical goods overseas, and they say, hey, take a look at this and make sure it's it's arm's length. And we look at it and we're just like, yeah, yep, yeah, okay, that looks fine. Uh, however, um, you know, how do these? How does your foreign entity? Earn the right to actually sell that overseas, and 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 how did they earn the right to use your trademark in you know in Europe? And oftentimes the question, the answer is, uh, well, we don't know. It's like, well, so you so you're just you would you're telling me that you would allow a third party just to sell your goods and not expect a certain amount of compensation for using your trademarks, using your know-how, um, your business process, um, that sort of thing. And so you really do need to stop and think. What's happening here? You know, are there other services? Are there any? Are there any intangibles that are that are flowing from our related parties? You know, back and forth. Um, and and one that's often one thing that's often overlooked is uh, intercompany financing. Um, we quite often run into um, times where entities are loaning each other money, but they're just doing it interest free when you would you know you would never expect uh, an entity to loan a third party money without it, without earning an arms length rate of interest or a market rate of interest
0: absolutely and i think that's a really really important point that somehow I missed earlier in that you really do need to put that lens on as in how would you do this what would this relationship look like if this were not your own company, right? And that's how you need to set this up, which I don't think that we always have that perspective because we're trying to make it somewhat beneficial for, you know, opening that other entity in another country.
1: Yeah. I I like to, I like to call it a sanity check, and for small businesses to to do a sanity check around uh transfer pricing or international tax is to just take a step back and go would we interact with a third party this way Mm -hmm. i mean and that if i ask that question so frequently to to you know cfos or tax you know tax directors or whomever we're working with and just say okay you have this intercompany pricing set up this way is this how you would you you would interact with the third party and they that inevitably gets a pause and a, and a thought process going and thinking oh okay
0: absolutely so are there other approaches other alternative approaches to this i know i've seen some things on unitary taxation and not that i understand it but i have seen that there are alternatives and what might those be and why would someone consider those
1: you know the i think what you're your question revolves around something called formulary apportionment am i correct in that
0: i believe so i you know again this is a a topic that i'm not very familiar with but i do know that it's really important and i typically ask for assistance when dealing with it
1: yeah definitely so um so formulary apportionment um, it, it attributes you know a corporation's total worldwide profit or loss you know to each jurisdiction you know based on based on certain factors such as proportion of sales, you know, proportion of assets or payroll, you know, of that jurisdiction to the overall you know, amount. Um, you know, it it really doesn't occur between countries except arguably Brazil. Um, Brazil doesn't officially have formulary apportionment, but their rules around transfer pricing and taxation are extremely formulary apportionment based. Um, and so we you don't we don't have this yet, um, you know, throughout the world. And, and there's there's arguments for it, and, and a lot of arguments against against it. Um, so I'll tell you what the the pros might be for formulary enforcement. The pros might be, you know, it's thought to reduce compliance costs. If you'd have some certainty around, you know, how to allocate your your profit or you know how to allocate taxable income globally, um, and some people think. That formulary apportionment is also, it's also a better reflection of reality in terms of your operations. Um, so um, what happens often is that we may have, have a factory with a lot of employees and a lot of assets in a certain tax jurisdiction. And um, perhaps you know if assets, for example, is one of the factors that you would apportion on, you would say, hey, they should earn a lot of, of taxable income. Um, but that leads directly into kind of the cons of formulary apportionment. Which you know, the main one is how likely is it that countries across the globe are gonna agree on these metrics on which to base the apportionment? So everybody has to agree it's sales, it's assets, it's payroll, something, some some measurement. And what you'll get is, you know, countries with, you know, that have maybe a lot of factories, and a lot of people were gonna say, hey, we want assets, or you know, countries with high sales but lower, maybe lower number of employees would say we want sales. So it's just entirely unlikely that countries are, agree, are going to agree on this type of metric. And without any of that type of agreement, you're going to come, you're going to come up against double, double taxation. Um, so you, you're going to have to, you know, and even, even if you were to come up with this metric, you're going to still have to prove compliance with the metrics. Well, I don't really necessarily agree with those who think that it's, it would reduce compliance costs because you still need to show that you're being compliant. Um, it doesn't really reflect economic reality. So again, like in the, if you take that example I gave where you have a factory with a lot of workers, um, you know, profit generally accumulates to where value is created, um, less so to maybe a factory that has a lot of assets and a lot of people, um, but really that factory is just being told what to do and what to produce. So really you would expect value and higher levels of profit to flow to the decision-making, the risk-taking, the the design of maybe what's being produced in that, uh, that factory, and then finally, I'd say the last con is, you know, different accounting standards from country to country. And I know, you know, IFRS is, is you know, being instituted, you know, more and more globally. But it's still there are still different accounting standards uh, between countries, and then exchange rates. How do you deal with those as well?
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Are there any hot topics uh, as far as whether, you know, government changes that we might be seeing or anything that you are hearing about related to transfer pricing that we should pay attention to?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, So many listeners may have heard something called BEPS. So Um, B-E-P-S. That's an acronym for base erosion and profit shifting. Um, So we'll call it it BEPS here on, on this podcast. Um, And BEPS is an an initiative by the OECD, um, and they came out with a list of recommendations um, that were finalized uh, last year. And transfer pricing is thought to be the kind of the most pertinent of the recommendations from the OECD. Uh, There are four specific transfer pricing um, related action items, although transfer pricing kind of flows throughout all of them. Um, specifically Actions um, 8 through 10, um, which address in order um, outcomes different from transfer pricing studies and intangibles. Action 9 addresses contractual allocations of risks and Action 10 addresses profit allocations and other non-value creating activities. Um, however, Action Item 13 relates to transfer pricing documentation and something called country by country reporting. Um, And country by country reporting is really, I think, the biggest change or biggest recommendation that came out of BEPS and countries globally have already adopted country by country reporting. So what is country by country reporting? Well, um, it is a form that the OECD came up with and each country has to adopt or create their own form, but most, quite honestly, most countries have adopted the OECD version where it lays out all, a bunch of different metrics and different, different statistics, um, of each of the company's, uh, related parties. And so it's not just the local country or the parent, it's all of the entities. So in other words, tax authorities are going to have a view into a company's, um, you know, operating profit, it asks number of employees, it asks certain asset level type questions. It goes, it goes much further beyond from a foreign perspective than what has been submitted from a tax perspective. Now in the U.S., we've had um, reporting requirements such as 5471s or 72s, 8838s or whatnot, where we actually have had to report a lot of what's in the country-by-country reporting, but there are things that U.S.-based companies need to be aware of um, that they're going to have to potentially fill this out. But before anybody gets too I guess, you know, worked up or concerned, there is a threshold that needs to be crossed in order to that in order to be required to file the country by country report with your tax return. Um, so globally it's 750 million euro in global revenue. So if you exceed that, globally you're supposed to file your country by country report with your in your where you're domiciled, where your parent is domiciled. And, and the U.S. has come out with regulations that say the, the threshold is 850 million U.S. And that was kind of based upon the exchange rate with the Euro at the time. Um, so if your, if your company has greater than 850 million U.S. dollars in global revenue, so not just the U.S. or not just a specific com- country in global revenue, you have to fill out this form and file it with the IRS. And it's, um, It's, I believe, starting in 2017, we have to to file this form. Um, So that's country by country reporting. Um, The other two parts of Action Item 13 um, relate to documentation. The first part is called a master file report, where you are required to provide an overview of business and transfer pricing practices and submit it to um, jurisdictions that require it. Again, there, there have been some countries that have, have adopted a revenue threshold for the master file, um, but most countries have not. So this really has kind of changed the landscape of what's required for transfer pricing documentation globally. And then the third part of action item 13 is a local file report. And this provides relevant transfer pricing information and analysis to the particular local foreign country. And you would submit that one to the jurisdiction that, that actually requires it. So to kind of back up, do an overview, it's country by country reporting which would need to be submitted to the jurisdiction of residents, a master file report which also would need to be submitted to the jurisdiction um, of, reven- of of residents that would then submit it to the countries that are requesting it and then the local file documentation report which you're supposed to submit to jurisdictions that actually require it locally. So that's quite the change that we've seen coming out of the uh, the BEPS recommendations.
0: But to make sure that we know this it does apply to larger companies and starting in 2017 and specifically around what time in 2017?
1: So for country-by-country reporting, um, there is, there's a bit of a timing mismatch, actually, between the U.S. and foreign countries. So foreign countries, certain foreign countries, I should say, have adopted the country-by-country reporting. And they've required it for um, fiscal years beginning on or after January 1st of 2016, so the current year. Uh, But these countries recognize, and the OECD has tried to kind of smooth this over as well, is that not all countries have adopted it. And if you have a residence in a country that hasn't adopted it, you wouldn't be filling out this, this form. So for example, the US has come out and said, you need to file this form for fiscal years beginning on or after June 30th of 2016. So anything after June 30th of this of this year, or as, as frequently as we, you know, we frequently see fiscal years starting January 1st, so January 1st of 2017, you'll be required to form uh, to excuse me, file form 8975 electronically with the ultimate parent entity's income tax return for the taxable year. So in other words, for your tax return. Uh, filed in 2017 for 2016, you need to be aware that you may need to file form 8975. Again, that's if your global revenue exceeds uh, US 850 million or uh, 750 million euro.
0: Mm, Excellent. That's really good to know. So now if some of our listeners want to get some more information about transfer pricing or any sort of articles or guides or tools, um, do you have any resources that you can share? You're certainly also willing, able to share them via email and we can add them to the podcast, but are there some things that you like to read that you pay attention to that you think our um, listeners would also be interested in?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'll be kind of plugging third-party, you know, provider information, but, you know, Thomson Reuters, um, RIA Checkpoint have, have excellent, tools on, on BEPS, and they have a lot of um, they have a lot of good analyses too about about folks who have been in the industry for a while and they they give kind of opinion pieces on, on that as well um, each you know each of the big four firms have quite a bit of online information out there for us to to utilize as, as well and I think um, you know smaller firms smaller companies certainly can go online and look at that and there's a lot of really helpful information it's out there it's free to use it's it's on clearly on. A third party's website, but you, you can certainly access it, um, I would I would tell people to give me a call <laughs> quite honestly I will help walk through it, um, we have resources that we utilize and I can I can certainly help with with that.
0: Okay, what is the best way for them to reach you.
1: Um, I would say you can call me um, can I give my phone number on this Great. podcast yeah that's my phone number is 612. 612- Again, that's 612-253-6692. You can email me at jfritz at idbailey.com. That's j-f-r-i-t-t-s at idbailey.com. You can go out to idbailey.com and look under our international tax resources and you can certainly reach us that way as well.
0: Excellent. Now, is there anything I should ask you that I haven't asked yet that you think would be really important to share with our listeners regarding this topic?
1: Yes. Honestly, I think clearly documentation and compliance is extremely important, but as a practitioner, I think it's even more important to consider planning opportunities um, and transfer pricing. So when you're making business changes or if you're starting up, if you're going global, um, that is the honestly the time to look at transfer pricing, but really look at it from an effective tax rate planning tool. So you know, as the business is is making these changes, you know, bring tax folks or bring us to the table as well, and start thinking about, hey, what functions do we want to have in what in what jurisdiction? Because really, it, you you could take advantage of you know the differing tax rates and. And I'm not saying try to try to gain the system, but really put those functions and risks, locate those in a country that has a favorable tax um, regime. So for example, if you're looking at expanding into Europe, um, perhaps you look at Ireland with its, its it has some really great incentives in terms of locating maybe your, what you call your global principal or at least your European principal company there. And you, you can have your income flowing to that, that entity. So really transfer pricing is a powerful tool if, if and when you're looking at at making business changes, you're looking at potentially lowering your effective tax rate and looking at how and where to put those functions.
0: Jason, that is excellent advice. So- I want to thank you so very much for joining us. Make sure, um, listeners, that you have a chance to go to com. We will add all of these resources uh, at the bottom of the podcast description to make sure that you have those as well. Again, Jason, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you all on another episode of Go Global, Go Being Podcast, powered by awesome. Globe. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.